0: Most High, who is reigning over heaven and earth, even as we speak this morning, and who ought to be reigning over our lives as His children. I hope that you have brought your Bible with you this morning and that you'll open the Word of God as we study that uh, Word together, and I hope that our time spent together in study of God's Word will be profitable and beneficial to each of us. It will help us individually and collectively to be built up in our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I have not mentioned this before. I've only been here, of course, a few weeks, but I will remember to mention this this morning. And I'm not going to say this every Sunday morning or even every month or six months or year or whatever it is. Um, But this is always the open invitation as far as I am concerned about anything that I would say and standing in the pulpit on a Sunday morning or teaching a class in the auditorium, or uh, back in the big classroom on a Sunday or a Wednesday, or just in conversations that I've even had with some of you, I, I've been blessed already to uh, be a part of several email uh, discussions that we've had about the scriptures so far in the few weeks that I've been here, and anything that anytime that I say anything about what I believe God's Word has to say about some particular topic or text, uh, you certainly are free to question that. And to ask me why I have said what I have said, if you disagree, that is fine. If you don't understand something, that's fine. Let's work together in studying and learning more about God through his word. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, the wise man wrote there that he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Although sin certainly has brought an ugliness into the absolutely beautiful world that our great God has made, by God's grace, I think we still observe many beauties, if you will, that he created. I don't know if any of you are early morning people or not. I think I've already told you I'm kind of not naturally. I can be, but that's just not my natural bent. But from a brilliant morning sunrise that maybe you even observed this morning to a stunning evening sunset, from a, a wintry, snow-capped mountain peak to a colorful autumn valley, from a twinkling, starry night to a vividly colorful rainbow, I think we continually see the beauty of God's creation on display every day of our lives. And many of us, because maybe when we're in the car, we're kind of looking forward, we're looking straight ahead, or when we're at home, we're looking down at our phones or our tablets. And we're not looking up as much as we should, and we miss a lot. And I'm speaking and including myself in that. But we continually see the beauty of God's creation on display, even in this sin-stained world. But as beautiful as those and other wonders of creation are, surely there is nothing more beautiful to God and there ought to be nothing more beautiful to us as well than to see His children, His recreation, if you will, and His Son, Jesus Christ, dwelling together in unity. This morning, I would invite you to to join me in looking at a very short psalm that speaks of the beauty of brotherly unity. It is Psalm 133. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to open there, Psalm 133. It's only three verses long. I was joking around with Anna last night and I said, you know, I'm going to, only going to cover three verses today. You think I can spend 45 minutes on that? She said, yeah, you'll have no problem. <laughs> well, we're not going to be here 45 minutes, I hope, this morning. But this is a very beautiful psalm with a beautiful message. Psalm 133, beginning, the psalmist here says, Behold, How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. David is considered to be the writer of this psalm, and if you have a Bible like I do that may give even a title to the psalms or just a short inscription to the psalm or try to attribute at least the psalms that, that people, most people feel comfortable attributing the writer to. You may have something like, as mine does, a song of a sense of David. Uh, as I was uh, the last quarter of last year, didn't have the opportunity because we were moving the last couple of weeks of last year and transitioned to, from Kentucky to Arkansas But I was teaching a Wednesday night adult class uh, that last quarter on the songs of ascents, Psalms 120 through 134. And basically they are psalms, it seems to me, that the Israelites, God's people, sang as they were going to Jerusalem to offer worship to Him, to kind of get their minds in the right frame of mind about who God is, about what God has done for them, who they are supposed to be as His people. And this is one of those psalms. David is considered to be the writer of this psalm. And I don't know if he wrote it specifically for the purpose of God's people coming together to worship him, but over the years, long after David had left this earth, that's what God's people, at least one way they were using Psalm 133. Assuming that David is the writer, think about him, think about who he was, think about his life. That he, of all people, I think, would have known much about both of the things, uh, both sides, I guess, of what this particular thought of Psalm 133 is. He would have known much about the ugliness of family division. Think about Saul's attempt on his life when uh, Samuel has already anointed him to be king, but he hasn't rightfully stepped into the throne yet. But also think about even as he is king, his own family, his own son, Absalom, turning against him, conspiring against him, basically kicking David and all of his men, all of those who were loyal to him, out of the city of Jerusalem. He is no longer on his throne. He knew a lot about the ugliness of family division. But this man, David, also knew a lot about the beauty of family unity. This man was the greatest king in what we normally call the United Kingdom period. When when, when the, the kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel was kind of at its peak in a lot of different ways militarily, and financially and spiritually, there are some writers who think that David wrote the words of Psalm 133 after Saul's death. You might remember back; I think it's in 2 Samuel chapter five. The early verses there tell us again, even after Saul died, that his son, you remember Ishbosheth, was set up to be king for a while, and so the kingdom was still split. But after seven and a half years of just reigning over Judah and Hebron, then he was able to go to Jerusalem and be the king of all of Israel, Judah and Israel. Some writers think that David wrote these words after Saul's death as a nation, maybe at that particular point was kind of coming together and healing and uniting under his reign as king. Others think that this psalm was maybe a product of his own private reflection. Maybe it's not really related to any kind of one single event in his life. That David was just thinking these words about the beauty of brotherly unity one day. Whatever his motivation, his reason was for writing these words, one thing I believe is certain, and that is this. David's few words here in Psalm 133 paint a beautiful, pleasant picture of true brotherly unity. So let's not miss that point this morning. Again, as we think about who David is, he was a man who experienced a lot of conflict, a lot of strife, a lot of struggle throughout his life. And because of that, David, again, knew, I think, the preciousness of family and national unity. Indeed, he knew firsthand, as he states here at the beginning of this psalm, how good and how pleasant it is in verse 1. True togetherness really is. He he knew that, not just from a conceptual, intellectual, academic perspective, perspective, but he knew that on an experiential level. He had experienced that. I would suggest to you that that is God's true desire and has always been God's true desire for his people. David knew the preciousness, the pleasantness of true togetherness as a family of God. We need to ask ourselves the question, do we really know that? Because you see, God's desire, I believe as we read The Word of God, we find that His desire for His people of all ages then and now is that we do dwell together in unity. I want you to go uh, over one book in your Bible, if you're there, open to Psalm 133, to open to the book of Proverbs, in chapter 6 for just a moment. Proverbs chapter 6. And there is a list that the wise man gives us here in, in a few verses. As he begins in verse 16, he says to us that there are six things which the Lord hates, Yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. We're not going to run through all of those this morning. I, I know I've preached maybe a couple of lessons uh, on this particular list and referred to it a number of times. But I want you to notice in that thought of the things that the Lord hates, the things that are abomination to the Lord, the things that make the Lord sick, if you will nauseated, if you will, that repulse him. In verse 19, at the very end of that list, he says, one who spreads strife among brothers. This is something that maybe we don't think about. Yes, we may know that it is a sin. Yes, we may think it's not a good thing for us to be involved in. But the writer here couches it in these terms of the things that the Lord hates. Among those things that the Lord finds abominable in His sight is one who would spread strife among brothers. One who would make it His aim in life to make sure that God's people do not dwell together in unity. But that particular principle of truth is not only stated, of course, in the Old Testament... And these are just a a couple of verses, and I'm pulling out as examples, as illustrations for you this morning, lots of other verses I thought of, and I'm sure that you could think of as well. But over in the Gospel of John, I think most of us know these words of Jesus very well. In John chapter 17, uh, Jesus begins this beautiful prayer here, praying for himself and talking about the relationship that he has had with the Father and how he's accomplished the Father's work on earth, and then talking about the apostles, the 12 men that he had chosen to continue his work after he went back to be with the Father and then disciples of the first century and even us. In verse 20, he says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. That, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as I even as you have loved me. This beautiful sentiment, but it's not just a beautiful sentiment in the prayer of our Lord. This is God's true desire for his people that all of us who claim to be followers of Christ, that, that we would all be one, and he gives us the greatest example, the most perfect example of unity, of oneness that there could possibly be in God himself, that as the Father and the Son are one, and he begins again this prayer in John 17 by saying that he came to glorify God, the Father, and the Father as he did the Father's work was glorifying him. There was this mutual glorification throughout this prayer. There's this mutual love that exists between the Father and the Son. But he is saying to us if you want to see a model an example of true unity you just look to me God and you will find it But here is God's desire for us as people here is Christ's desire for us his followers his disciples that we be one to the extent that God is one so that we can have an effect an impact On the world, the world can know for sure that it is the Father who sent the Son into the world, that He truly is the Son, the Messiah of God. That is God's desire. That remains God's desire today. And so, if that's God's desire, it is up to us as God's people to carry out His desire in our time, in His way. How precious and how pleasant is brotherly unity as you turn, hopefully, your Bibles back to the little psalm that we are considering this morning in Psalm 133. The psalmist here goes on to say, not just to state that particular truth, that it's very pleasant, it is very uh, um, good for us to dwell together in unity, but he goes on to describe that unity and the preciousness, the pleasantness of that. In verse 2, he says, and verse 3, he says, first of all, in verse 2, that brotherly unity is as precious as oil. He says, flowing down Aaron's head, beard, and robes. He says to us in, in verse 3 that brotherly unity is as pleasant as the dew of Hermon, Mount Hermon, coming down upon the mountains of Zion. And we're, we are sitting here in Little Rock, Arkansas in 2022, and we're reading these words, this, this imagery, and we're thinking, what in the world is David talking about? You know, oil coming down Aaron's flowing down his beard onto his robes. Well, what does that have to do with brotherly unity and the dew coming down off the, this great mountain, Mount Hermon, which I understand was the, the highest mountain in that particular land? What, what does that have to do with unity? That Those images don't convey a precious and pleasant message to me, and I'm sure they don't to you as well, because the, those illustrations are lost on us, but I'm telling you they did to ancient Israel. I'm not here this morning to tell you the definitive answer on what David is saying in using these two illustrations. And so there are a lot of people who are a lot smarter than, than I am about these particular things, who know not only the scriptures well, but know a lot of the history and geography and all of that kind of thing. When you come in, run into these illustrations, especially in the Psalms that we, we don't relate to today. So here, let me just give you a few possibilities of the meaning of, of those two phrases: flowing oil. Uh, these are a couple of writers that I use some in the wisdom literature. Derek Kidner, in his uh, work on, on the Psalms, talks about this flowing oil, perhaps symbolizing a people as differentiated, but also as integrated. Look, listen to the words of unity here and what these writers have to say but also as integrated as a priest and his robes, a people among whom God's blessings are not the preserve of a, of a few, but are free to spread and be shared, unifying the recipients all the more. This is certainly going back to the, the language as the writer David here speaks about this precious oil being poured upon Aaron's head and running down his beard and running down his, his robes, that Aaron being the high priest, he was to be anointed With oil, we can read some instructions about that earlier in the Old Testament. Another writer that I use sometimes, James Smith, in his work, uh, the Wisdom Literature and Psalms, made this observation about flowing oil. In his mind, it symbolized the consecration of the whole nation. And you can see that again as we just mentioned about Aaron being consecrated as the high priest to do his priestly functions. He goes on to say that the aromatic oil will diffuse its fragrance all around, symbolizing the holy influence which the life of Israel as consecrated people should have upon the world. Basically, one takeaway from, from that particular thought for me is this, that yes, they were supposed to be God's chosen people. They were supposed to be God's separated people. They were supposed to be God's consecrated people. They were not like to look like the rest of the people around the world. They were God's holy people. And they were to have this influence upon the world. But if they were divided, if they were going the Israelites in all different directions and just doing their own thing and not coming together under God himself, first of all, and the leaders that God had chosen to lead his people, they would not have that influence that God intended for them to have upon the world. Rather, they would be influenced by the world to be like the world. And throughout Israel's history, you find sadly that is what occurred more times than not. To think about what perhaps David might mean when he says that brotherly unity is as precious and as valuable as the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. Again, from James Smith, he said that dew is a symbol of what is refreshing, quickening, invigorating. I think we all know that. The dew that falls on the slopes of Mount Hermon is especially copious. It comes in great amounts, in other words. He says here that brotherly unity in the same way refreshes each individual just as the dew for much of the year brings the refreshment and renewal to the dry mountains of Zion. From what little I read last week about Mount Hermon, that yes, there, there was a lot of snow on that mountain, even in the warmer parts of the year. And that, that snow would begin to melt and, and there would be dew in the mornings on Mount Hermon in great amounts. But the region all around in the valley could be as dry as dust. But here is the writer David saying, it's like the dew of Hermon, not just staying there on that mountain, but it is coming down upon the mountains of Zion. Zion, of course, I believe being a reference to God's people, Uh, not just the city of Jerusalem, but a descriptive term for God's people. And Derek Kidner made this observation about this illustration that David used of the mountain dew. He said that Hermon, the highest mountain in Israel, was evidently proverbial for its heavy dew, Yet the little Mount Zion enjoyed the same gift, high and low, drinking the same sweet refreshment. If his thoughts are anywhere close to what David was trying, the message David was trying to convey here to God's people and to us, again, it's a picture of unity. And I believe, obviously, that is the main message of Psalm 133, that it doesn't matter where you're living on Hermon, figuratively or, or on the mountains of Zion. That high and low, as he says here, drinking the same refreshment, we are united. We are sharing in God's good gifts and blessings together. So David used these two well-known illustrations of his day. Again, I'm suggesting to you this morning to paint this very beautiful and colorful and peaceful picture of the preciousness and the pleasantness of brotherly unity. Well, where does such a blessing as brotherly unity come from? Is is this something that maybe some brothers in the Lord, some sisters in the Lord have and others don't? Is this something that some local churches have and some don't? Is it just, uh, you know, luck? (laughs) Is the result of us enjoying brotherly unity? No, I believe David answers that particular question in this little psalm. And he tells us here in Psalm 133 that ultimately... A blessing such as brotherly unity as all blessings do come from the one united God of all who made us all. Here in verses two and three is somewhat repetitious as David is writing this short psalm. He says again in verse two, describing brotherly unity, it's it's like the precious oil upon the head coming down or maybe some translations say descending. And then he says it's like, that oil coming down at the end of verse 2 or descending upon the edge of his robes. And then verse 3, it's like the dew of Hermon coming down or descending upon the mountains of Zion. That that all of these blessings don't come from us. They're they're not inherent within us. No, they are coming down from the the Father of blessings, from the Lord. And in verse 3, as he ends this psalm, he just sums up everything that he said here by saying, For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The Lord is the one that is commanding the blessing. The Lord is the one who wants all of His children, all of His people to be together and to enjoy this blessedness of brotherly unity. It is the Lord who is commanding the blessing, as Moses states at the end of this psalm, of that which is true life, that which is eternal life. And He's giving that blessing to all of His family. We find and we enjoy that rich blessing from God, David says toward the end of the psalm in that last phrase he says, "For there, we find and enjoy that rich blessing from God there. what is the there? Well, I believe he 's talking about the mountains of Zion. he is talking for the for Israel at that particular time there was Zion, it was Jerusalem, it was them coming together again, the songs of a sense that they were all. Headed toward the city of Jerusalem for one common purpose, for one common goal, where their thought, their minds all, uh, uh, blended together in thought that they were all thinking about Jehovah God and how they were all going to come together as His children to worship Him and to praise Him and to thank Him. For us, I would suggest to you that the there is Christ Church. <laughs> and when I say Christ Church, I'm not speaking of this. Facility, this building, this structure that we are in this morning. I'm speaking about the people who are here and all of God's people all over the world that we can only find and enjoy that rich blessing of brotherly unity, of eternal life here amongst God's people in the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. We're not going to find this kind of unity that David... Speaks of here in Psalm 133, out in the world, are we? <laughs> we're going to find a lot of division. We're going to find a lot of ugliness. We're going to find a lot of sin. We're, we're going to find a lot of things that will tear us apart. And that Satan is certainly working in our world today as he always has. And one of his most effective tools, I think, for us just as people in general is that if he can pit us at one against the other, if he can get us to be divided and to be fighting with one another rather than to be united and to be helping one another grow, then He can get us to do His work, and He certainly has been very good at that. When brethren are divided, I would suggest to you that little to nothing good takes place. Whether you want to think about brethren being divided in a local congregation or those who are of the same physical family, if if those members of that physical family are Christians, if they, are not, if they are not working together, if they are truly divided, there's not going to be much good that takes place. There's certainly not going to be much good that results from that. But when brethren are truly united in the way that Scripture says we are to be united, there are lots of good things that occur. And I believe, again, David knew that. He had seen both sides in his lifetime. And so he was writing, for whatever reason, this little psalm, Psalm 133, to help us to remember, maybe to help himself remember, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. I have seen both sides in my short lifetime. I grew up in Oxford, Mississippi. My, my dad uh, preached for the first few years of my life. And so we lived in a little small community in Mississippi. Uh, When I was born, uh, six months after I was born, I think we moved there. I don't remember anything about that. But we moved then to Memphis, Tennessee, and lived there for about four or five years. And I do remember some things there. But even in that congregation there at Memphis, which is no longer in existence, I I, I think because of a lack of leadership, there was uh, not a lot of unity, or at least not as much as it should have been. And then as we moved back to Oxford, where I was born, when I was about six, seven years old, the church there just a couple of years after we moved back split, when I was like seven, eight, nine. And then by the time I was twelve or thirteen, the church that the group that had left that church split again. And so I, I've experienced that even before I became a Christian, I've experienced the the ugliness of division amongst brethren. But thanks be to God, in that time I have experienced a whole lot more of the beauty of unity. And what that looks like. And I'm telling you again, when brethren are divided, there is very little good that takes place. But when we are truly united, there are lots of good things that occur. I have not been here long enough to know all the good things that are going on in this church. I'm not naive enough to think that this congregation doesn't have problems (laughs) and issues and challenges. I know that we do because we're people. But I want you to think on the positive side this morning, just about two blessings and benefits of that kind of unity that David speaks of here in Psalm 133 that I have already seen. Uh, Alan must have been reading my notes this morning (laughs) uh, because he's already read a passage that I was thinking about reading. But we are able in this congregation to be partners in the gospel with preachers around the world. They're from the book of Philippians. He read toward the end of that book. I want to Just read a few verses from the very beginning of that book. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, beginning, Paul begins his his thoughts, his writing to the church at Philippi by saying this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And then, of course, he closes the book in the passage that our brother Alan read for us this morning before we uh, took up the collection. That this church here at at Philippi, Paul says, when when there were no other churches that would have fellowship with me in the matter of giving and receiving, of sending money and allowing me to preach the gospel, that this church in Philippi did. That There was this unity. It wasn't just a one-sided relationship. It wasn't just that Paul was taking their money. But as in the passage again from Philippians chapter 4, notice some of the language here. Uh, the matter of giving and receiving, there is that mutual mutual uh, relationship that is going on there. He says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit or the fruit, some versions say, which increases to your account. Paul in verse 18, I've received everything that I need in full. And then verse 19 My God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There is this fellowship, this relationship, this unity, if you will, between Paul and the church at Philippi. They are truly partners in the gospel. And this congregation here at Fairview Park is able to be partners in the gospel with preachers around the world. Because again, I'm not saying there there are no areas in which we need to grow as a church But from what I can see, because of the unity that does exist here in Christ, we're able to do this good work. To my knowledge, this church is having fellowship with 15 preachers currently. Brent, myself, and 13 brothers in other parts of the world. And that is a wonderful thing. Think about if we were all divided. (laughs) If we were doing our own thing. If we were at odds with one another constantly. If we were not striving together to... Being diligent, as our brother Don read earlier this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If we were not all committed to that ideal, we would not collectively be able to do the work of spreading the gospel and being in fellowship with preachers around the world. Secondly, connected to that, A blessing and benefit here in this congregation that I see of brotherly unity is that we are able, like the church at Thessalonica that Alan is teaching through that book on Wednesday evenings here in the auditorium, that we are able to sound forth the word of the Lord to many people. Uh, Brother Richard uh, Forrester sent me here, I guess it was uh, last week, a a printout of, uh, of kind of like the work that we're doing Digitally. And he said he's a numbers guy. I'm a numbers guy. Uh, I didn't have the time to read through all the uh, information that he sent to me, but I gathered this is kind of the, the so what of all of that, that over the last five years, since 2017, when this church started uh, live streaming services and started uh, posting uh, sermons and classes and all of our biblical content uh, onto, uh, online, Over the last five years, there have been about 115,000 online views of sermons, classes, the Bible workshop, other things that go on here. I don't know that that means 115,000 different people necessarily. But 115,000 online views of that biblical content and 60,000 of those views have taken place in the last two years. I mean, the word of the Lord certainly is going forth from this congregation. And at the heart of it all, I'm suggesting to you this morning, is this thought that David explains and expresses so beautifully and so well here in Psalm 133. There is brotherly unity here. As far as I know, and until I'm proven otherwise, I will take this to be the case, that, that every one of us who is a member of this congregation, that we all have the same goal. We, we are striving to be more and more like Jesus Christ every day. Now, we're all at different points in our walk with Jesus Christ and our understanding of his will for our lives and understanding who he is and understanding who God the Father and God the Spirit is. And we, we, we may, you know, have disagreements from time to time about issues of Scripture But I hope that we're all committed to that fundamental truth that we all want to please the Lord. We all want to be more like Jesus each day, individually and collectively. And because we are united, we're we're able to send the word of the Lord to far places of the earth, perhaps, that might never otherwise hear the good news of Christ while these two things, and probably many other that, others that you could think of if you've been a member of this church for very long, they certainly are blessings and benefits to us. I, I want us to leave as we close our lesson this morning with this particular thought that the ultimate result of our brotherly unity is not so much a benefit and a blessing for us, or even a benefit and a blessing for people out there in the world, for other Christians who may be able to... to uh, be built up in their faith because of the biblical content that we are putting out from this congregation or even being a blessing or benefit to people who are lost in the world that need to know Jesus. But the ultimate result of our brotherly unity is that it is a blessing to and a glorification of our great God. That God is well pleased of all the beautiful things I believe that God made in our world. Surely when he looks at his people dwelling together in unity, he has to smile. And he is pleased that we are truly acting like his children. Before we close our lesson this morning, would you join me in bowing for just a brief word of prayer? Our good and great God, our Holy Father in heaven, we are thankful for this day, this beautiful day that you have created for us to enjoy. We're reminded as we look into your creation of your beauty. We're reminded, Father, of the beautiful things that you have made for our enjoyment, for us to appreciate and to experience. But more than that, this morning, Father, we are thankful for your beauty that is seen in your children. We pray, dear Father, that you would help us individually, but also as a collective group of your people here, to truly be united, to be diligent in preserving the unity of your spirit in the bond of peace. Help us, Father, when we have uh, conflict with one another, when we could potentially be strife among us, that we would be devoted, that we would be the ones who would stand up, that we would say, that we need to come together upon the basis of who you are, who your son is, and what you have revealed to us in your word. And that we can work with one another. And that through our unity together, that we can do much great work for you here and throughout this world. And then in all of that, we can bring glory and honor to your great name. Help us, Father, to be aware, to be on guard for Satan even working among us and trying to tear us apart as your children. Give us the strength, give us the wisdom, give us the courage that we need to stand up to him, to resist him, and to embrace you and to embrace your plan for perfect and beautiful and pleasant unity in your son, Jesus Christ. Continue to be with us as we work together Help us always to keep our thoughts that we have focused upon this morning in our minds and help us, Father, all to journey together to that home, that time when we can be with you in your home and we can enjoy being around your throne forever and ever. And this is our prayer through your son, Jesus. Amen. As we begin our lesson this morning, I want us to end that certainly all of God's creation is beautiful. It is truly beautiful in its own time and in its own way. But the beauty of God's recreated people, being united together as one, far surpasses all the beauty of the rest of God's creation. Let me ask you this morning as we close our lesson: do you see that beauty first of all? Or are you aware of the beauty that is to be found in God's people? Do you value that unity? Do you value the beauty beauty of brotherly unity? Are you, if you're a child of God and a member of this congregation, are you being diligent to preserve that unity as best you can? But for those who are not God's children, let me ask you this. Are you experiencing the pleasantness and the preciousness of true brotherly unity? I'm telling you, if you're not a Christian, you're missing out on a whole lot. You're you're missing out on the beautiful relationship that you have, first of all, with God, with your Creator, with your Savior. Secondly, you're missing out on the beauty of the relationship that you could be experiencing with brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you a child of God this morning? If you're not, you haven't entered into that relationship, that fellowship with Him or His children. Why, Why not come this morning saying that you want to be a Christian, just a simple follower of Christ, And you want to devote the rest of your life to doing His will. And as a result of that decision, there's going to be some obstacles and hardships along the way. But I'll tell you what, in my experience as a Christian, for I guess maybe 27 years now, the blessings and the benefits that God gives us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and in His body will far outweigh any of the challenges that you have to experience that you need to become a Christian this morning. If that's your desire, please make that known. Come to the front and we can be ready to assist you, be happy to baptize you into Christ so that you can be a part of his body. If you need to do that this morning, why not you do that now as we stand and as we sing.